0: Right now on Fast, and off-the-charts rally driven by massive drops in bond yields here and around the world. Banks, builders, energy stocks, and big-cap tech charging higher. But is today's bear market bounce only happening because a central bank buckled? Plus, a potential biotech breakthrough driving one stock up nearly 40% today, carrying the entire sector along with it. We'll go inside Biogen's positive news on an Alzheimer's drug that in trials has slowed the rate of cognitive decline in patients. And later, Apple alone down laggard on fears of a slowing iPhone demand. Netflix surges nearly 10% and an ad spending upgrade in the bullish options action for Nike ahead of earnings tomorrow. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Site on a jam-packed desk tonight, literally. Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, Cordy Garcia, and Guy Adami. And we begin with one of the world's largest central banks blinking. The Bank of England seeming to come to the market's rescue today, saying it will start buying long-dated bonds to help calm recent turmoil. Major indices closing near the day's highs after breaching the year's lows just y- yesterday. The Nasdaq rising more than 2%, S&P and Dow both ending six-day losing streaks. And take a look at the year- yield on the 10-year. After crossing above 4% for the first time in over 12 years this morning, rates fell by more than a quarter percent. The biggest basis point drop since 2011. So if the BOE blinked with the Fed, is the central bank put back? What was
1: this rally all about, Guy? How many hours in a day there, Melms? 24. 24. So it was 24 hours ago that we sat here on this desk. Mm. Finnerman was there. Dan was yep. next to me. Courtney wasn't here. Tim was there talking a lot. But we said the setup was that a rally could happen. We were ripe for a market rally. The VIX has exploded. You had all that negative gamma going on. So I'm not saying we called this, but this is going to continue. Dan actually said you could see a 5% move up or down this week. And I think the up is going to be 5%. And did the Bank of England flinch? They didn't flinch. They totally missed the boat. I mean, they're now trading with themselves. They're intervening on their intervention. What's going on there is madness. And if you think a 30 basis point move in U.S. 10-year yields is healthy or signifies some uh, relief in this market, you're wrong. The market's still going lower. It's going up first, Dan, Nathan.
2: Whoa. Uh, I mean, listen, part of this was that we had this kind of blow off move in yields in the dollar and really it didn't feel like stocks could really rally in that sort of environment. And at that key sort of technical level, we had this kind of match low from those June 16th lows that we saw a massive rally in the S&P 500. I guess what's different between now and June and and, and listen, sediment was really bad. And, you know, I mean, it just felt like a lot of things were converging at one time. And that is definitely what we had right now. But I just think the volatility and where rates are and where the dollar is quarter over quarter. I think that's going to be the thing that really um, makes it hard for stocks to move as much as they did into those August highs off of that low, because we're about to get into this period with Q3 earnings and Q4 guidance, and we might get... Full year 2024, it's just not going to be that good. So the question is, and we spent some time talking about it last night, have S and P estimates come down, earnings estimates enough? And I don't really think so. But that being said, we say this all the time: it's not a great trading strategy to press lows. If you're looking for, you know, like new lows when you're at that match low, it's just not great. So again you know, 5% to the upside might give a lot of traders the opportunity to lighten up on some stuff that maybe they bought well, or they were like dying to get out of. And then if you're looking to position for lower lows, the average decline in the S&P 500 during a recession is 30%. We're down 24% or so yesterday. I don't see any reason why we should not be down 30% at the lows before this is all said and done.
0: What did you do today, Karen? Because yesterday you're, you're pointing out the divergence between the VIX and the S&P 500. Right. You effectively bought. So what I bought. You, yeah. Well,
3: yesterday I really covered hedges, which was the XLF and TBT, which was a short, uh, bought that. I'm sorry, sold that, which means getting long bonds. I had bought bonds before uh, with Dan. Yeah. And then the IWM, I covered that. Uh, so, And then I bought some spider calls just on the, you know, I didn't know it would be today, just on the idea of we are so oversold. You could look, I mean, it just seemed like Things were going down again and again on the same kind of news. And so this this bounce, it's great. It's not surprising. It really only takes us back very little in time. You're right. I don't know. To what, Monday, maybe last week. So I don't think things have really changed. Obviously, the the British uh, maneuvers were the they were the catalyst. But I think we were ready for a catalyst.
4: Yeah, and I do think it's probably preemptive to say that what the Bank of England is doing means that we're gonna see the Fed blink on our end, because I think that's a completely different scenario. We're not seeing the kind of tax cuts that you're seeing over in England. But I do think probably part of this is not just the fact that the Bank of England has, has intervened, but also the fact that maybe the, the bond markets have started to price in peak interest rates. And if you are of that mindset, this could actually be kind of an attractive time to start to look at treasuries. They hit 4% earlier today. And if you're thinking that if some point in time they're going to come down here and that's been priced in, this could be a good time to lock in some of those yields. And if rates start to come down, you might actually have some appreciation on those, especially so for like your high income earners. Your tax equivalent yield on like a mun- municipal bond is pretty attractive right now. It's over a 5% tax equivalent yield. It's over 7% if you're in a high state like New York City or California. So suddenly I think this idea where There hasn't been an alternative. There suddenly is. And I think that that's that's exactly what you're looking at.
1: Courtney's right. If you're connecting the dots with what the Bank of England did, somehow it's going to happen here. I think that's a false narrative. I mean, I understand why people would make that leap. It's the wrong leap because it's a completely different situation there than it is here. With that said, the market's going to buy first and ask questions later. But I think to Dan's point, now you have an opportunity if you bought something right, let it ride for a couple more days, because I do think there's another two and a half, three percent 3% to the upside. That TLT long, maybe get out of it at 108, 109, which was the prior low back in 2018, the fall of 2018. And then this thing starts to feed on itself again. But some of the most violent rallies take place in bear markets, one that we happen to be in right now. What
0: is the trajectory of rates at this point? I mean, if if I came in and said, we're going to be at 35 on yeah. the 10-year, you can make some pretty good investment decisions based on that piece of information, but we don't know. And it seems like this BOE intervention, interventions don't last, they're not yeah. lasting things. That's that's the nature of intervention. I
2: think our main man, Carter Braxton worth would say if he's looking at that chart of the 10-year US Treasury yield, you should see a check back to that uptrend. It did go kind of parabolic over the last week or so. And I'll just say this about yields. When you think about where we are, right now, and I think to Courtney's point, we might be pricing in where we top out. You know, the next Fed meeting is November 2nd. It's a week before the midterms, right? We're going to have a lot of single stock data. We're going to have a lot of company data. We're going to have a lot of guidance over the next few weeks or so. It could give the opportunity for a Fed, you might see it in the last week of October. Maybe, you know, that guy Tim or the Wall Street Journal, the Fed Whisperer, Mm. he might like float a little trial balloon at the end of October that maybe the Fed is thinking about kind of pulling back a little bit more after the November 2nd meeting. And in that scenario, I mean, you'll see, I think you'll see the 10-year yield come back to probably 3% at that point. Because I think that will be more reflective of the fact that growth is slowing. And we're likely to see, you saw Stan Druckenmiller say he's hard-pressed to see not to have a recession next year. You know what I mean? We're in a recessionary environment. Let's be very clear about that, whether we have an official one or not. So maybe that is the trade. So maybe you see yields. And maybe that's one of the reasons why stocks do rally more. Some of the fuel in the rally in July was that estimates had come down into Q2 earnings, and then companies were meeting those lowered estimates, or they weren't as bad as expected. And that's why we kind of overshot the upside into August.
0: So there's a belief that the Fed pulls back and 3% is sort of where, where we end up, right, post-November meeting, I would think that sets up nicely for for year-end rally.
3: Yes, if you're saying, if that's true, if we, there's still some growth, we're not, right, we, what we don't want to see is, is kind of a stagflation um, that where we end up with an okay yield, but it really isn't a great alternative. So I, don't know, I think that would be good. It, it feels like we have a little more room for rates to come in, but – uh, I think we've got to see some more CPI data. We've got to see where inflation is because I still feel like the Fed, whether you think they should be or not, is very much on that hawkish course. Yeah. And uh, if we don't
0: see any relief, then I don't think we'll rally a lot. Former Vice Chair Clarida was just on the closing bell. He said 75 in November, 50 after that, and then maybe another one at the beginning of next year. Um, that's a lot of hikes. That another one, hundred? Is that no? Another 100? hike yeah. okay, of some go. magnitude uh, in in you know the new year. So if that's the trajectory, we haven't seen the top in rates, have we?
4: I think that was the expectation earlier this week. That's that's what people had anticipated were happening. Really, there's been no new data that the Fed is going to change their tune on. I don't think the Bank of England is that data piece they're looking for. I think Karen's exactly right. We need to see some CPI numbers. They're going to be really focused on the labor market. So I think they're really going to need to see unemployment numbers change or people come into the labor market in order for them to lower rates. So I think that's going to be the bigger catalyst, and that's what we're going to have to watch for.
0: Has anything changed? No. Because of the Bank of England? No. Yeah, (laughs) the
1: the level of absurdity has changed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's even it's more absurd than it was 24 hours ago. I mean, central banks have lost their way, clearly. I mean, that, you, you did that on purpose, didn't you? Oh, well,
0: well, let's not forget the policymakers who unveiled those crazy tax cuts funded by debt. Without that's question.
1: No, l- any, I totally I'm, get it. You know, when we move on to the politics portion of the show, we can get into it. But, you know, we'll fo- uh, focus on the, it's Now everybody seems to be coming to the realization that central banks are not omniscient like everybody thought they were prior. And they've been screwing it up literally for the last decade, if not longer. And they find themselves in a situation they can't get out of. What's going on in England is ridiculous. If you think about it, I mean, they completely did a 180 on policy that they had in place because things were getting out of control. I don't think it happens here, but it's not that far away from happening here. I mean, you think about what they're trying to do in the United States. They're walking a fine line and the market's calling BS. To your point about rates real quick, yeah, the front end of the curve might be pretty. They don't control anything else. And that ten-year yield can go down to three percent in a slowing environment, and that two-year yield can stay at four and a quarter, four and a half. And you tell me what the world looks like under that situation. Mm. Bad, Bad Melms. Not but good. we should probably have somebody that's a lot smarter than I when it comes to that these. Would things. Be anyone,
0: anyone. Anyone. anyone, anyone so. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's say we pulled off the street here. Uh, our next guest sees liquidity <laughs> issues in the treasury market. Michael Kantopoulos is the director of fixed income at Richard Bernstein Advisors, joins us here at the NASDAQ. Michael, good to see you. Nice to see you guys. Um, um, what's your take on, on what happened?
5: I, I, you know, this is—it's um, it, unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this in my career, where you have a tremendous fiscal stimulus coming out of the U.K., and then on the other side of the equation, you have a central bank that basically is fighting against that fiscal stimulus. I mean, it, it's like they never went to college for economics, mm-hmm. and you have you know, these, these people driving the ship. And so, um, yeah, you, know, you had capital calls, right, out of pensions in U.K the BOE had no choice. They were cornered. Uh, But I agree with all of you. I I mean, the Fed's not in the same position. And thank God, whether you like her or not, whether you agreed with her as a a chairwoman, thank God we have, you know, Janet Yellen, you know, at the White House right now, because there's no way she would ever do anything like what they're doing in the UK. All right. And so I think inflation is the biggest concern here. And I think the Fed is serious about getting it under control. And we're going to see higher Fed funds.
0: So what are you seeing in in the credit markets right now in terms of the liquidity issues that you highlighted?
5: Well, um, liquidity is terrible across all fixed income, right? Everybody thinks the treasury market is liquid, and that's even illiquid. So clearly, credit markets are, generally speaking, illiquid as well. Um, You know, this is a very challenging time for fixed income investors. You've had all this quantitative easing and now quantitative tightening. And what it's done is it's sucked out liquidity from the market, increased volatility. I mean, never would you see 20, 25, 30 basis points increases and decreases in treasuries, maybe in the late 70s and early 80s, but that's about it. It's a scary thought to think that, you know, we're back in a time that we were, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s. So liquidity is poor and it's going to stay that way, unfortunately.
3: So first of all, it's nice to see you again. It's been a really long time since we've had you here. Um, Talk about credit spreads as well. uh, We know how rates are going, but talk about credit spreads, where you see them going.
5: Yeah. You know, so listen, I think there are two main, main certainties out there. One is that central banks are going to continue to tighten liquidity. Well, maybe not the BOE, but certainly certainly the Fed is going to continue to tighten liquidity. Uh, by raising rates and engaging in quantitative tightening. And earnings growth is slowing. I mean, all of our models suggest an earnings recession in 2023. And so it's hard to envision a world where you have an earnings recession and a tightening of liquidity, given a 10 year liquidity bubble, where credit spreads stay where they are today. So, so I actually think that at least equity markets you know, have gone down, depending which market you're looking at 18, 20, 30%. Credit spreads are still holding in there pretty well. And yes, corporate fundamentals are okay. but I've never seen an environment where you have liquidity tightening and an earnings recession and not seeing wider spreads. So I think spreads are going up.
1: Yeah, we look at the HYG, which made multi-year low bounce today. But LQD, which is corporate grade bond, think about this. And I know you know this, but I'll just point it out. Lower than the lows we made in March, April of 2020. Significantly
5: lower. That's telling you something, I think. Well, what it's telling you, though, is that uh, yields are up because of Treasury yields. So the spread, though, hasn't really changed all that much. I mean, spreads are wider, but the risk premium that you're getting to own that investment-grade bond relative to Treasuries, it hasn't widened enough. So it's an interesting story where you've got two components of a bond, interest rate risk and credit risk. And what you're referencing, Guy, is the interest rate component, which has really hurt the, uh, the investment-grade market. But the credit risk component, that has much further to widen. You know, For that reason, you know, I, I actually think that as we sit here and look out over the next week, month, two months, you may get an equity rally. Treasury yields may go up. They may go down to 3%. I have no idea. But if you look out over the next 6 to 12, it's hard to construct a scenario where economic growth and earnings growth are rolling over. And you don't have lower Treasury yields ultimately. So if you have a longer term horizon, I think we're going to see lower treasury yields and wider spreads.
0: Your forecast is shocking, 2 to 2.5 percent in the next 12 12 months on the 10-year yield. I think that's
5: entirely reasonable. Absolutely. The
0: backdrop must be terrible then for the U.S. economy. (laughs) Well,
5: I think that um, it certainly isn't going to be great. You know, you look over um, almost any cycle in history, and I got asked all the time because we've been big proponents of this idea that inflation is sticky. You know, the whole idea that inflation was transitory, we never got that. We've been saying underweight duration, in other words, short treasuries for a long time. And we really flipped on that, on the the treasury side, not on the inflation side. And so I get asked a lot, how can you have high inflation, expect higher than average inflation, but lower treasury yields? And the answer is because growth rolls over. Earnings growth and economic growth ultimately fall. And what takes the baton from inflation is growth concerns. All right. So you look at the late 1970s, the early 1980s, Treasury yields rallied. They fell when inflation was 11 percent in the late 1970s, when it was 8 percent in the early 1980s. So you can have hot, relatively high inflation and lower Treasury yields. The common feature between then and now is you were in an earnings decline and you're in an economic decline.
0: On that note, Michael, Mm -hmm. good to see you. Thank (laughs) you. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Michael (laughs) Ketopoulos, RBA, Um, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I I guess, you know, if you take out the pandemic 2020 and those kind of months that it was just an absolute black hole, no one knew what was gonna happen, and you go back to the last period that we actually had a material EPS decline year over year in the S&P 500, the S&P 500 sold off 50%. I mean, so, you know, we talked about the math last night, Mike Wilson over there at Morgan Stanley, he has the S&P earnings going down to 212 next year. Where does the S&P multiple trough in these sorts of bear market recessionary period it's usually about 14 times that's how you get to maybe 3200 or something i know there's a lot of targets much lower jeffrey gunlock said a couple weeks ago he could see 2900 in the s p 500 so again you know there's gonna be great trading opportunities there have been you guys were great last night on this and playing for this i'm not that impressed with two percent higher today i'm just not so let's see if we can put together a few days and listen It's hard, you know, when you're trying to kind of play these things on a short term basis. I don't think anyone thought we'd have nearly a 20 percent rally in two months off the lows in June. And it felt really good. And then all of a sudden it felt really bad over the last month.
1: Michael's talking about those classic stagflation, right? I mean, high inflation, low growth. And to your point about what what does it mean if that 10 year yield would go down to two and a half percent? I will tell you, under that situation, Two years, not going to move all that much. And yeah, maybe it comes down below four. But you're talking about an inverted yield curve, the likes we haven't seen in a while. And it's just not equity bullish. And, you know, you think the Fed's going to come to our rescue here. Maybe that gets the stock market to rally. But it's all about earnings. We talked about it last night. That is the foundation of the market. Earnings, earnings growth, revenue, revenue growth. And it's just not there to support these valuations, in my opinion.
0: Coming up, Apple getting paired, stock down. Oh. I know. I know. know. <laughs> all. Only down name in the red today. The news is taking a bite out of the shares next. Plus, biotech, boom, shares of Biogen surgery nearly 40% today. It's best day in nearly two years. We'll break down what had investors flooding into that name. Don't go anywhere. Fast money is back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Apple falling as much as four and a half percent today after a Bloomberg report that it is pulling back production of its iPhone 14. Demand for the new models reportedly failing to meet expectations. The stock finished the day off the lows but was still the only Dow component in the red. So what does this mean for Apple going into the holiday shopping season? Um, Particularly of note is that a lot of analysts have come out in recent days, weeks, really bullish about demand. Demand is fantastic. It's going to be off the charts. Um, And here we are A big difference here, Karen, if this report is true.
3: Yeah, that's the big question, right? If this report is true, I feel like we get some sort of leaked data about Apple sales, whether it's up or down every quarter. And that sometimes causes a big commotion like it did this morning. I don't know. I don't know if that's that's going to be true or not. I agree. I was recently they were seeming surprisingly bullish, actually. So I don't know. I'm long. It's not been fun the last couple of weeks, but I'm staying long.
2: Yeah, and I'd just say, you know, let's look at the supply chain and some of their their partners there, you know, Taiwan Semiconductor down, you know, a lot today um, on the heels of that, and you look at the SMH ETF that tracks the semiconductor space down thirty-seven percent of the year versus the Nasdaq that's down thirty-one percent. So they've already led to the downside here. If you look at those stocks, you might say, well, maybe they're anticipating something in the smartphone face that space that's not doing as well as expected. We know there was a big pull forward in PCs and data center and all that sort of stuff. So to me, I, you know, it doesn't line up particularly great. We've talked about the performance in Apple and also the importance of Apple in the major indices, with you know seven percent of the S and P 14 percent the the Nasdaq 100. I mean, if there is a disappointment, I mean, it would make sense. And this is how you kind of get, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. It's how you get that S&P multiple a little bit closer to a trough if you have this thing come in a bit.
0: Yeah. Um, The thing too about this report is that basically if the report is right, Apple will be producing the same number of phones that it had forecast over the summer. So it's not really a huge pullback. It's just going back to what had originally been thought. And by the way, Apple has not officially come out and said anything. So as far as we know, it's the same. And yet we have this decline of one and a quarter percent.
4: Yeah. So let's let's say for a minute that this leak data is in fact true. Um, I wouldn't find it wholly um, surprising because you are in this period right now, where especially like Europe and Asia are having a much more of a slowdown than the U.S. I think that likely is a, a, what a lot of the. Um, lack of demand is for them. But as we do get into this period where the economy reopens, that could easily start to shift in the other way for Apple. But what I like about Apple specifically is they have so much cash on their balance sheets. Them of any other company is really in a position that they can weather through this. The idea that it's a temporary demand issue. Longer term of people not wanting to buy iPhones. So this is like a Blackberry story where none of us want to use iPhones anymore. That would be completely different, but I don't see that that as the case.
1: Fair point. I mean, that's a great, right? I totally get it. We talk about the cash to a certain extent that probably works against them as much as it works for them in certain environments. But oh, we'll they're couch that. In
0: short-term treasuries.
1: Well, yeah, well, not you, not yeah. that bad. <laughs> but so if I just said you, we play that. What do we play that game when I show There's you a so chart? And I
0: Oh, oh. And usually, you're in my
1: head. You know you that. Said, game. So the
0: chart where you don't see what the chart is, you don't see the axes of the chart. You only see the line. Right. And it says, what is that chart? Right. So
1: if you weren't okay. clouded okay. by the AAPL, which just everybody's, at, it's like you get those little starry eyes when Jamie, Jamie Dimon. Dimon. That's what people get with Apple. So if you didn't see <laughs> it and said, all right, here's a company that's yeah. trading mid-single digits EPS growth, mid-single digits revenue growth, trading at 23 times next year's numbers with margins that have not improved, maybe declining, you sell that stock, don't you? And people say, well, you know, you never sell Apple. I get it. You know, I totally get that argument. But over the last five or six years, Dan, as you will point out, We've seen anywhere from 25 to 40% peak to trough yeah. declines in a name that's not
2: impervious to the broader market. So, yes, Apple can go down in this environment. Yeah, I would just say the, the flows towards the name, because you brought this up on many, many occasions. It's in so many funds. It's right. it's, it's, yeah. it's like the darling of passive investing. Um, you know, there's been some unnatural periods just the other day when we had that big down day, and it was like up on the day. So, today, we're talking about it being down on the day on maybe a piece of news. So, again, I, listen, the market's not going to bottom until this thing finally breaks and kind of retest those was what were they 136 or something like that so that's probably coming to the near you.
0: all right there's a lot more fast money to come here's coming up next
2: biogen's big
1: bump shares surging on some blockbuster drug news the traders break down what it could mean for the entire biotech space the details next plus retail rising and targets leading the way so is this stock a bullseye for your portfolio Let's throw it in the cart and find out. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
0: Welcome back to Fast Money. Biogen shares soaring today on positive Phase three results for its experimental Alzheimer's disease drug that sparked a, a slew of upgrades and also lifted other healthcare stocks like Eli Lilly, which hit an all-time high. Our next guest calls the Biogen news a categorical win for the space. Let's bring in Oppenheimer Healthcare Sector Specialist Jared Holtz. Jared, great to see you. Um, the expectations for this drug were high. This the results were even better than what was expected.
6: I think they were kind of middle of the ground. Mel, you know, when you look at how the stock was trading into it, you know, much closer to a 52-week low than a 52-week high. And and these Alzheimer's trials are obviously, you know, very difficult. We've been going, you know, years and years without anything that's looked really good, you know, according to a lot of doctors and, you know, a lot of people on Wall Street. So I think the bar was kind of like middle of the ground, and and this exceeded it. We're just going to have to kind of see whether you know, ESI and Biogen are going to be able to execute on their plan to launch this drug. And then the other thing that we're kind of, you know, not worried about, but concerned from a competitive standpoint is what some of the other competitive data sets look like from Eli Lilly and Roche, which are both coming up.
0: Yeah. And we saw those stocks pop. And so I'm wondering, is it is it the right thing for investors to extrapolate the the good results of Biogen's drug onto the other drug makers? I mean, are, are the mechanisms similar? How, how is that accurate to do?
6: Yeah, they're they're fairly similar. I think especially when investors look at the, the Roche drug, um, you know, rather the Lilly drug and the Viogen drug are, are fairly similar. I think when you look at Roche, it's a little bit um, nuanced versus the other two. But I think in general, the way that investors are looking at this is do the trial designs look similar? Is the powering sufficient enough to produce good results in which You know, we saw that was the case with the Biogen data today or last night when it was released. Um, So I think categorically, when we look across, you know, the space, I think most investors are looking at these as much more similar than different. And that's why you got the outcomes today.
3: Uh, It's Karen. Thanks for being on. Let me ask you sort of a tangential question. So UNH, a number of the other, the insurers were down a lot this morning and then turned around and ended up up on the day. Is that because of the fear of how much they would, uh, how much it would cost them to offer this drug? And then maybe they wouldn't have to. Is that why it rallied?
6: Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. You know, there was some concern early on that You know, once the drug was on the market, which is about a year from now, it would open the floodgates. But there are so many things to think about prior to that, Karen, um, in terms of, you know, exactly when the drugs are going to be launched, what the price point is going to be, who the players are going to be. It's going to be Biogen. And hopefully, you know, for patients it's going to be, you know, a bunch of other players, what that looks like. And so I think if we're talking about are there going to be payer pressures because a new market opens? I would venture to guess the, the answer would be Yes but probably not so significant that these companies can't, meaning the managed care companies can't figure out how they're gonna deal with it over the next couple of years.
0: Is there more upside for Biogen from here, even after the 40% pop?
6: Well, it's interesting. I mean, Biogen shares, I believe, were right about this level a year ago. So I think most investors, if if they had known that they were gonna get positive phase three data here, would have imagined that the stock would be higher You know, when you look at it over a year, over year basis, plus it's kind of like trading right in line with the pharmaceutical group in general. I'm not sure what the multiple is right now, but, you know, roughly in line with, you know, large cap pharma and large cap biotech. I really do think that, you know, when we look at this from a high level perspective, you know, it's a huge market. This has been the holy grail, so to speak, for biotech for a number of years. Nothing has worked. So I, I do think there's going to be some nitpicking around the competitive dynamic and pricing but we know the market is there. I think that will allow Biogen to go up just based on the narrative alone.
0: Jared, great to speak with you. Thank you.
6: You too, thanks.
0: Jared Holtz. Guy, you were just saying the commercial break that yesterday you you had an internal dilemma when giving the final trade, Amgen versus Biogen. Mm.
1: I have a lot of internal dilemmas, as you know. One of the
0: internal dilemmas you have. Yeah,
1: the last night happened awesome. to be this one. But listen, in terms of Biogen, trades now at 16 times next year's numbers, which is relatively cheap. I think why the stock didn't rally more is because people remembered the summer of last year when it traded to 400 on similar news, and then the next thing you know, six months later, it was trading in half. So valuation is compelling. It's a great company. What I find amazing was the move in Eli Lilly today, which is rallying two new all-time highs, still at a decent valuation. UBS upgraded the stock, I think, on September 22nd, $363 price target, because they're de-risking of their diabetes drug. So we have been steadfast in Eli Lilly. You stay with Eli Lilly.
0: Eli Lilly just had that upgrade recently, right? Yes, and and on, part of the notion zapatine. was yeah. that the Alzheimer drug was not even priced into right. that upgrade. Right. So here we are. Right. We have this call option. I know. <laughs> I was kind of surprised how much it
3: was up. I mean, at yeah. one point it was up. I don't know, 10%. Yeah, I mean, I'm long Eli Lilly. I like it a lot. It's really, for me, driven by trisepatide and just thinking that that's the whole weight loss.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Courtney?
4: I think what's interesting about this, too, is right now we're getting this really good data coming out. And so that's that's what's boosting the stock. But the second piece of this is going to be it needs to go through Medicare because we've seen this before where there's been some promising drugs and then it doesn't get through the Medicare reimbursement program. And just to put this in perspective, Medicare um, it covers what, like 64 million people and most people with Alzheimer's are on Medicare. So that's why these drugs need to get through the medical um, the Medicare reimbursement program. I think that's going to be the second piece of the story. All
0: right, coming up. Target takes off. The retail giant jumping after announcing some early holiday deals. So is this one a bullseye bet? Get the details next. And sticking with retail, when sportswear stock kicking higher ahead of its earnings. And the move is options traders lacing up how they are playing this jump when Fast Money returns.
1: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
0: Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is chatting with Lululemon's Nikki Newberger. Catch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Sticking with retail shares of Target surging 5% today. The company gearing up for holiday deals beginning as early as next Thursday. And Target wasn't the only retailer to get a boost today. Carvana, Dick's Sporting Goods, Etsy, Wayfair, Macy's all gaining more than 4%. interesting that they're starting so early, given Amazon is doing another prime day so early, too, Karen. Well, they got a
3: lot of stuff to sell, right? (laughs) (laughs) So you better start, early if you want to be prepared. I mean, yeah, it's nice to see it up. I feel like I got a target from having target in the portfolio. It's been a painful year for sure. I mean, it's uh, expensive on this year's earnings, but we know this is hopefully a very unusual year with all that giant apocalyptic inventory, I think, if we uh, mm-hmm. remember what Bill uh, Simon said. So I like Target here. I feel like uh, they will survive this. I like the valuation. stand Long.
0: Yeah. Dan?
2: I don't know. I mean, I suspect that back to school didn't materialize the way a lot of these guys had hoped, especially after they had already took their medicine at Walmart and Target over the last few months in in the summer here. And then, again, you just said they're getting really promotional really early for the holiday season. I just don't think it bodes particularly well. And I guess if you think about retail, I mean, this was kind of the canary in the coal mine as far as we haven't really seen. Again, I think Courtney mentioned the unemployment component of this, and once we start seeing that tick up a little bit, I just don't think it's going to be a great environment for retailers, especially when people have the negative wealth effect from the stock market and housing.
0: Even if they have jobs, I mean, their wage gains are not keeping up with inflation. So that's a problem. They're feeling poor, even if they have jobs.
4: Yes, but I think one other piece of this, right, is um, energy prices have come down a lot, right? So gas bills have been a really big portion of people's income, and suddenly they have more of that. So even if overall inflation is going up, that was a big piece of income that a lot of people now are, you're seeing, are starting to spend in other places. So that could actually benefit someone like a target. So maybe they are coming in at a good time, like right when gas prices are going down, Mm -hmm. they're putting out those promotions. Um, You know, I, I do think it's, it's, Relatively attractive compared to its historical averages, um, but I think you have to go into this with the assumption that the consumer is going to continue to be in a good position for a Target to benefit.
1: What holiday season are you talking about? I'm Begging you not to say it's like the December holiday season. It's like well, Arbor yeah. Day or something, right now. Arbor Day. Isn't that's that not. Like that's in the not. Spring? I have no that's idea. Even that's out. even farther out. Yeah. It's madness. Oh. we even. It's still September. It's September.
0: Yeah, you got to get a you got to get a start because remember all the supply chain issues. You might not get what you want if you wait.
1: Yeah, well, me start t- start I ain't
0: going to get what I want regardless. <laughs> <laughs> With it's that said, show. I
1: mean, Target needs to prove themselves. It's two quarters in a row where they really screwed things up, right? So they have a lot of work to do to get back the trust of investors. I don't think you're going to miss it. One place I think you want to be, and we've talked about Dollar Gen, continues to do the grind higher. Maybe, I don't know, 5 or 6% off its all time high, but that's a stock that I think is impervious to economic conditions, DG.
0: Nike is another retailer racing higher today. The sneaker and apparel giant set to report earnings after the bell tomorrow, and the options market is saying just buy it. Brian Sutton of Equity Armor Investments joins us on the fast line. Brian, what are you seeing?
7: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. The options market really has kind of ticked up in terms of open interest recently. And what we're seeing is basically options traders are basically pricing in. About a 7.8% move after earnings here. Now, typically, the stock moves about 5%. We saw Target move that. But certainly, if there is some upside surprise in the earnings number from Nike, this is a stock that's been so beaten down, it's gotten just crushed. It's actually below its June-July lows here. And traders are basically looking at the September 102 calls. They were there gobbling up and grabbing and buying those today, expecting the stock to trade basically above 104.3. That was sort of the break-even on the calls right now. And so... If we get a surprise to the upside, earnings expectations are about 97 cents a share. We see that print 120 or so, 20% surprise to the upside, which we have seen before in previous earnings. The stock could really pop. But, you know, obviously, retail, that's been such a beat-down sector. It's going to be a tough play. I think traders are just playing with calls rather than owning stock to play
0: the upside, and that's probably the smart way to play it. Brian, thanks. Brian Stutland. Uh, Dan? Yeah, I don't
2: disagree at all with that. We talked about it last week. I bought a little bit right around here, 98.60 last week, and I said I'm fully prepared to buy this with an eight-handle. I just don't know in this environment. And again, it might pop to 103, 105 or something because the stock has sold off so dramatically. Valuation obviously an issue. Demand in Europe, demand in China. I mean, the list goes on the dollar. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things. But look at how this stock has just fallen off the chart in the, in the bottom right here. So to me, I think this is a name that you want to kind of dollar cost average. It's down much more than the S&P, nearly 2x that um, on the year. But I'm fully kind of prepared for a guide lower. And I don't know how the stock can react, but I have a little room to buy some more.
0: Or there's I a China issue <laughs> where they could guide lower. There's a wholesaler weakness yeah. potential issue where they could guide lower. There are, there are opportunities mm-hmm. there, Karen. Yes, there's
3: plenty, of, <laughs> plenty to look at that could be... For the worse. Mm -hmm. However, you wonder, is that priced in? You know, I look at the stock right now and it's back to a pre-pandemic level. And yet they've earned like 20 billion dollars since then. So I'm not sure if that's exactly right. So um, it is Nike. It does deserve a premier premium multiple. But um, the China thing is making me wait.
4: Mm. How about you? Yeah, I, I, I think it's pulled back so much here. I think from a short-term move, I do like that pl- that standpoint. Um, for the more medium term, I think there are still a lot of risks involved here. I think we're going to need to see how they guide moving forward. So it's a short-term play, yes. Longer term, you might want to just see how they come out first.
0: All right. For more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, a decade of nothing. What billionaire investor Stanley Druckenmiller sees in store for the Dow, his stark outlook ahead. But first, Stranger things have happened. Netflix catching a big bounce. So what had analysts streaming into this one? The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Netflix soaring nearly 10% today. It was the second best performing stock in the S&P. The move comes after Atlantic Equities upgraded the name to an overweight. It's our call of the day. Analysts saying that the launch of an ad supported tier later this year could boost the streamer's share price back over 280. That's a jump of nearly 40 bucks from today's close. Quick reminder, Netflix is still down 60% this year. And to boot, Carter Braxton Worth, of Worth Charting, sent out a note today with a number of charts, four of them, I believe, Mm. saying... It's a buy here. So you got these two things going down.
2: I mean, some of us would say it looks like it's ready to party. I mean, there's some huge gaps in this thing. You know, I mean, the news has not been particularly great. It showed really good relative strength to the market when it was selling off in August. Um, And again, there's this huge catalyst. I mean, the very thing that kind of took the stock down, it could be the very thing if they get right, we'll take it, you know, one step at a time to fill in those gaps. I think that we have really had a hard time saying that Netflix looks reasonable on a valuation basis for a very long time, as long as we've been doing this show. Value lady bought it right over the summer when it was in the in the hole. It's
0: like one share.
3: Well, I bought the one share by accident, and then I added after that. Remember the the crown? Yeah, yeah. So I bought on the crown. Only got filled on one share. Bought some more. I I mean, the valuation has come in, and I think that just you know. When they missed twice, it was really the second miss that did them in. Yeah. And all that momentum for whatever it was, a 600-plus stock. They just bailed out at any price, no matter what. That's an interesting dynamic to me.
1: 700 print, actually, which is remarkable yep. if you think about wow. it. And we all probably – well, I shouldn't say – I know I loved it then, too. So the move down to 180 or so was just hair-raising. But we actually all said at the time, it was the first time maybe ever you were able to buy Netflix at a market valuation. Even with the move, it's only trading at 23 times next year's numbers, which is reasonable. So 285, given, again, it doesn't matter where we are, but in terms of valuation, it's not unreasonable for the stock. So CBW likes it. Dan and Karen like it. Courtney probably digs it. Stranger Things, by the way. Tremendous. You've seen it? A f-
0: I thought you didn't really? know how to stream anything.
1: <laughs> no, I get people to, I, you know, I don't understand. <laughs> you you, you, you know, got it's people like,
0: for that? Well, no, I don't yeah. have people for that. Yeah,
1: really. I have kids, yeah. Yeah. but they help me. But I can tell you, Winona Ryder, badass. Digger. I mean, this is done more for a career than uh, Beetlejuice. Remember that? No.
0: There you do. Uh, Courtney, do you dig Netflix, as Guy put it? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, and I think as long as you're assuming that they can hit these numbers, this does look very attractive because their whole issue is that they're kind of stalling out with con- um, customers. But if we're in this period now where maybe people are having to cut their expenses, they're coming out with an ad-supported tier to say, okay, you don't have to cancel Netflix, just get the lower subscri- subscription, and we get ad revenue out of it. It's kind of a win-win for everyone, which is really interesting with Netflix. All right, coming
0: up, a big call from billionaire investor Stanley Druckenmiller. His warning of what could be a lost decade for the Dow will bring uh, his warning to you next. Fast money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow has more than doubled over the last 10 years, but should investors expect similar returns going forward? Investing icon Stan Druckenmiller of Duquesne Family Office had this to say at today's CNBC's Delivering Alpha conference.
2: I'm not saying, you know, go get another job and you can't do stocks. I'm just saying we've had a hurricane behind us for 30 or 40 years and it's reversing. And I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, it's my central forecast. The Dow won't be much higher in 10 years than it is today.
0: Is he right? Are we heading for a lost decade? Which doesn't, of course, mean that you can't make money in a lost decade when you have volatility like we're seeing these days, Dan.
2: No way. I mean, it, it, listen, you know, when we hear the term lost decade, we go back and we think about kind of the currency wars that were existing in the 80s and how uh, adversely affected Japan. But you know what the thing is, Japan doesn't export anything, you know, like they used to export Walkmans and Toyotas and that sort of thing. And just think about the innovation that happens here. Why do we have Silicon Valley? Why do we have all this company creation? Why do the just the best and the brightest come to this country to create things? So I just think that's one of the main reasons we had Rick Heitzman on last night from First Park. We have this tremendously vibrant VC community that's you know just kind of enabling that sort of entrepreneurship. So to me, I just don't think unless that's gonna change, I think the stock market's almost impossible to look back, you know, 10 years from now and say, oh that was, you know, that wasn't worth it investing in the stock Feeling market. Feeling extraordinarily patriotic right now, Dan. That's
1: beautiful it by Dan. Really I mean we was, should yeah. we should clip that. What well, is that's what they call when you clip it You're and put it out it. there. Thank you, Dan. It. Yeah. Stan, he's not one for hyperbole, number one. I mean, he's made a lot of great calls over the years. It was about 18 or so months ago he talked about potentially the dollar losing its reserve currency status. A lot of people have come around to that despite the fact that the dollar's rallied. So I don't know if we're going to have a decade of lost of stock market not going nowhere. But I will say all the warning signs that he's talking about are things we've been talking about and things that the market's starting to realize now. So I, I, it's one of those things where you can't love Stan when he's bullish and then discount him when he's bearish. The same thing with, like, a David Tepper. So I would say listen to him, make your own observations. But I agree with a lot of stuff that he said.
0: Yeah, and you got to wonder what the backdrop to a lost decade would be. If it is that right now we are in the early stages of maybe a stagflationary economy, then maybe you can see a lost decade or, or not great decade for stocks.
4: Yeah, and I'm definitely not of the mindset that we're going to have a lost decade here. I do agree with Dan. I think that we're we're likely going to continue to see a really good economy, especially here in the U.S. as we move forward. Um, But let's say for a second, we are gonna have a lost decade, because you're saying, well, we can make money in those environments. And I think that's a very good point. And I think especially, too, if you look at like the the lows, I'm sorry, the highs of the late 60s and the lows of the early 80s, you did have this period where stocks were down. However, if you look at once you factor in the dividends, you actually could still make money. And that's why you do want to make sure in your portfolio you have some companies that have good cash flow that are going to return um, some of the money back to you in the form of a dividend. Because that is what would play well in this scenario. So not that I'm of that mindset, but that is what would play in there. Karen. So he's a
3: very smart guy, for sure, like guys saying. So I don't want to dismiss that. But I do think, you know, we often talk about the market as monolith and it's not. So I think there are companies that will be flat over 10 years. There are companies that will do tremendously well, as optimistic sunshine Dan over here points out. And then there's going to be ones that really don't cut it. If they have bad balance sheets right now, those are probably the more likely ones. So I'm always long, so I always got to find something to do over 10 years. I, th- I hope I can find some good ones.
2: <laughs> I just had one other point. And when you think about this, it's like, you know, I mean, markets have become sport. They've become culture. Like, think about all of these people that we spend so much talk, you know, time talking about. Elon Musk. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And I think that's what's really different this time is that, you know, when you think about attention, we were just talking about Netflix. I mean, the stock market is an attention grabber from other activities. And we've seen that over the last couple of years. So I just don't think that's particularly like. Likely that we're going to see stocks not perform in the next 10 years
0: right. up next final trades time for the final trade let's go around the horn dan nathan yeah
2: paypal's one i bought earlier this summer showing good relative strength here i'm thinking
0: a move above 100 soon. courtney garcia
4: a uh, 10-year treasury actually hit four percent at one point earlier today it's coming down from there but i think this could be an attractive entry point
3: Karen Feinerman. Yeah, you know, we play this dumb game near the end of every show, how no. much time is left, and Guy nailed second. it to the second today. And look at how happy he is about it. I mean, prancing <laughs> around. Anyway, my final trade yesterday, lucky, buy some s calls. Tomorrow, sell some higher strike out of the money s calls. Take a little money off the table
0: and leg into a call. Ear to ear, Melms. He ear to ear. Happy. That's <laughs> how happy I am. Now, 113 was the guess. 113, nailed the amount it. Amount of time in this block.
1: Amazing. Last time I said objects in the. Remember I said that are bigger than they appear? And that referenced the oh, Atlanta Braves right. now in first place along with the Mets who play at Shea Stadium. All you Mets fans out there, no bueno. Uh, you know what I like here? DHI. Yes, I see you rolling your hand. Yeah,
0: yeah. You got eight seconds left. Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.